we're all awake. It's a great, it's a great prayer, isn't it? All right, so what have we got? What's some of the things God's been speaking to you about over the last couple of days? So much. It's just so deep. Come on, give me two or three. You've got to give your speakers response, otherwise they just keep throwing stuff at you and you actually might not be making sense. <laughs> but they'll keep throwing stuff at you. Um, what really hit me is um, you said we are called to forgive regardless of how we feel. And like that's always been really difficult for me like resentments I've held like against my family or against like certain people who have hurt me um, throughout my life. But like I've been reading Matthew and like it says in there also like um, if you can't forgive others, like if you hate others, then you can't like really like fully love God because we're called to love others as he loves them. And like if we don't forgive others, it says that he can't forgive us for that. So that's something that really, um, yeah, that's something that really hit me. So, yeah, I have a better understanding of that now and how serious it is. So, If you have something against your brother, you've got to leave your gift at the altar and go and sort it out. We'll go into the Old Testament temple soon. Uh, true conviction leads you away from sin. The other type of conviction, um, yeah, just kind of makes you feel guilty about it. That really hit me. Like, it's a good reminder. Yeah. You often might hear, hear terms called godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. Okay, worldly sorrows, you got found out, you got caught. Godly sorrow leads you to repentance before anyone else knows. And that comes out of a sense of the fear of the Lord and a sensitivity in your spirit and your conscience. But if your conscience is defiled and seared and numb, there's a good chance you're just worldly sorrow. I'll, I'll wait till I get caught, or I didn't, didn't realize it was sin. But if your conscience is sharp, okay, you'll get sin straight away because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. But you can sear your conscience or defile your conscience. And by bad teaching, you can have a, um, a conscience that's out of whack and it's weak. So what you regard as sin, the Bible doesn't regard as sin. Okay, so but it comes from a weak conscience, and we'll go into a bit of that this morning. Keep going. When you were going through uh, the steps of repentance, like the rethink, repent, renounce, replay, and receive, and in receive you hit on positioning yourself to receive, that was a really big thing for me to recognize, like the Lord, to, to position ourselves to receive is, is to do, put, put aside our thoughts of it, and then that also will lead us away from the condemnation side of it, and through the conviction to receive the forgiveness, and then receive protection from it as well. So that was just really good and highlighted. Um, something you said about having to take everything to God. Um, I think you talked about that, like even your gifts. And that was something that hit me of things that I assume are gifts and how with the wrong character, they can be not a gift. So just bringing, submitting everything 
to the Lord, even like the little things. It's really awesome. Um, for yesterday, I think, like, I heard forgiveness defined in a different way. Like, when you forgive someone, it's not that you're agreeing or making light of sin. It's um, that, yeah, you still hate the sin, but um, you're not holding it. I don't know how to describe it. But, like, sometimes when you feel like if I forgive them, then it's like this, that sin is okay. And the same thing is, like, if you're forgiven, it doesn't mean that you get away with the consequences like you still have to deal with the consequences so I think it's like yeah hearing that redefinition of forgiveness I loved the the drawing that you made of like the squirrely the the swirl of things and like the the V of stuff that we learn. And so we start out here, we learn this like huge lesson about it and then God brings us back around to learn the lesson again. It keeps going like deeper and deeper and deeper rather than that just straight line and here's the mark where we've like learned that lesson. That was great. Um, I just wrote uh, the something, the character, we are stewards of faithfulness. And then you said like, God sees how you like look after your room and you look have how you look after things, and like I don't know if you really said this, but I wrote it down. He's, it says God sees all these things to gain that trust in you. Is that? Oh, I mean you said it yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, what I like was when you said like. Um, when you forgive someone, it's not like you have to be like best friends again. Like I think so many people feel like what, like when you forgive someone, you're supposed to be like, oh, we're buddy buddies again. I love you. You love me. I forgive you. I think that like really just hit a point where like, oh yeah, you still do. They still do deal with the consequences of of the sin that they did upon you. Everybody have an issue of trust. Trust can never be asked. Okay. You must trust me. You can't ask it. It's got to be earned. It takes time. And if you break trust, that's why it's really important that if you break trust, you can't demand it to be all back after forgiveness is given. Okay. Well, don't you trust me anymore? I, well, you forgave me. Yeah, two different issues. Okay, they forgave you. They no longer hold it against you. They're operating like God. Okay, I'm releasing you. Yes, I forgive you. I love you. I pour that upon you, but I may not trust you. Okay, so I may protect myself with some boundaries now. All right, you maybe have a boyfriend or a girlfriend that, that goes too far physically. And they go, look, I'm sorry. I put my hand there or I look that way or blah, blah, blah. And I, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Okay, let's walk forward. You, you end up in the car again. It's late at night. You go, hey, I'm out of here. They go, why? Don't you trust me anymore? No, I don't trust you. It takes time. Okay. You still, you still have, are that fleshly person. And if I put you too close to the edge, you're going to end back up there. So I'm going to 
remove myself. You put boundaries in place to start to build that trust back up. So, yeah. Um, this was on Monday. You spoke like submission and independence. I haven't really understood it all quite yet. But, um, yeah, it's an issue that God and I are working out. Like, I value my independence, my financial independence from my parents a lot, and which might not be a very good thing. So, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> Uh, submission to me is a, a wonderful word, okay? If you can grab a hold of that, it's, I think it's one of the biggest issues that we deal with, particularly in Christian ministry, because we, we, we use a lot of Christianese to, to cover things, you know? Well, God said that I must. So we, we're, we're bringing God's name in to show, hey, I've gone to the highest power, and if you're going to exercise authority, what the only place a leader's got to go then is, well, now I'm God. Okay? So the leader's shot straight away. So we use that terminology. We say, well, God's told me that I am to blah, blah, blah. And as a leader, you're, you're stuffed at that point. You can't give input into it. You're like, oh, okay. That's really cool. If I then come in and went, well, I don't really think that's a good idea, what the negative of that is, is it, it's like, well, don't you trust that I hear God? And, and God's bigger than you. See, we use God's name to give ourselves a sense of credibility. You know, rather than coming in and saying, hey, I have a conviction. I, I think God really spoke to me. You know, I love your input into this and be praying for me and, and help me make the right decision. You know, and submission can be something that, that you go to. Submission is another one of those things that can't be demanded. Okay? As a leader, I can teach you. Look, submit to your leaders, but I can't demand it. You've got to submit to me. It's like, you know, if a leader says that to you, it's like, you're like, yes, graciousness upon you. You're telling the truth. That's really cool. But you can't demand it. You can't create a policy around it. You know, if you're, if you, if you have a girlfriend, you need to talk to leaders. That's our policy. So I can blow that policy up because you, you can't demand that. Okay? I would encourage it. I'd say, guys, for your sake. You know? Sometimes we... I, I love relationships. Sometimes we think if I go to someone and I like this person, this girl, she just looks amazing. I'm falling in love with her and... But if I submit this to a leader and they're going to say no or they're going to say a bunch of comments about it, so I'm just going to go and talk with them. Sometimes for your own protection, going to a leader, they have a perspective that sometimes your little love goggles have missed. Okay? And sometimes you're not even in their league. Okay? You're thinking too high of yourself. Man, I am just God's gift to this person. I'm attracted to them. They're going to like me. Particularly boys, we have this problem. Okay, so we just go and tell the girl, I like you. And the girl goes, oh my goodness, not a chance will I go out with this guy. Okay, so protect yourself, guys, sometimes just by chatting to someone that might have a little bit of insight and wisdom on that particular female. Okay, because they might say to you, nah, just you're dreaming. And I've said that to a few boys. They've come to me and gone, hey, I just, I, God spoke to me that I, I, she's the one I'm going to marry. I'm like, well, hey, I'd really go back to the Lord on that one. You know? It's amazing what we'll come up with when our, 
emotions are really affected. What God will say. Okay, and it happens on the extreme when we're excited and it's joyful and God's saying all this stuff. And it happens on the other extreme when we're depressed and down and God's saying all this stuff. And so submission protects us from our own flesh. You know, you might be just really down and having a hard time. And all of a sudden your interpretation of things and God starts saying all sorts of stuff. Well, I've got to leave this. I... God, I'm going through this trial and God was getting my attention through the circumstances. What do you mean? What, did, what was the previous word of the Lord? Well, he said to do this, but I just think it was a journey issue. You know, he, he was starting me like a boat on a ship and he had to move me that way to get me to this point. It's like baloney. You know, you're just hitting a trial. Grow up. Persevere. Your character's being pushed. So when you commit to things, and when, you know, so submission protects you from drifting outside of those guideposts. And so that's why I love submission. It became a, a value of my life. You know, do I do it all the time? Well, no. My pride still drops in the way. Go, well, I, I think I can do this. You know, but I know I'm protected when I'm with people and I'm submitting one to another. I don't use my leader title. And go, well, I'm the leader. You know, I can make the decision over this. You know, there are some things I do make decisions over. But, it, but it's, it's in an attitude of submission. It's in an attitude of input. So that people, it protects me from being, um, one of the qualities of a leader is be blameless. Okay. And submission gives you that. You know, and so I would love submission. It's one of the biggest qualities I think you should grow in is submission. Loving submission, not thinking it's a dirty word, not being afraid to, to study it and look at it in the Bible. Okay? And wrestling with scriptures in Hebrews 13, like obey your leaders, it'll go well with you. Well, I don't like that piece of the Bible. We'll just put that over here and uh, we'll just move on. Well, what is, what, what is he talking about? Or she, depending on who you think wrote Hebrews. Okay. He or she. It's quite possibly a she. But they don't have a name on it. Okay. What are they writing about? What are they saying? What's the context? Because you can misinterpret that. And if you misinterpret it as a leader and you exercise authority and say, hey, You've got to obey your leaders, it says in Hebrews 13. And the person goes to Hebrews 13, looks it up. And they're right. Ooh, now I'm in trouble. I've got to obey them. Okay, well, re really? Is that what it's talking about? Put it in connection with a lot of other scriptures and you hit the issue of submission. So, uh, it's the end of 13 or... Is there 14 chapters in Hebrews? I think it's just... 13? It's somewhere in the tail end of one of those. I, I, I spoke on a DTS, and um, their week's teaching topic is authority and submission. And uh, I do it again in November at another Wyoming base. And it's a really fun week, because the memory verse for that week is Hebrews, whatever it is, 13 something. It's, so I walked in the Monday morning, and they're reciting their memory verse. And they stand up. It says to obey your leaders and it will go well with you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what a way to start this week. Authority and submission. 
we better deal with this scripture. Because it, it, you can get it wrong. And then it looks like I'm coming in to confirm what the leadership want. And that's not the spirit in why they do it. It's one of the biggest issues in our body today is, we, is that we miss the whole idea of submission. That it actually resides out of our loving one another. As we love one another, we submit to one another. If we get it wrong and we go hierarchical and we think there's always a top dog, Okay, and this comes back to essential breakdowns in the whole body of Christ. Part of the body of Christ will say that uh, the Trinity is a hierarchy, and some of the body of Christ will say the Trinity is a unison. There's no top dog in the Trinity. And you'll see two major streams of Christianity have birth because of that belief. And it impacts everything else. How you set up your marriage. If you think things are hierarchical, you'll set up your marriage hierarchical. The husband is the head of the home. Just like Christ. I'm the head. That's an authority. Now Christ died. He laid himself down. He was a servant. He was a slave. So if you're like Christ, you're actually a servant, slave, bottom of the run. But the word head, we mistake. We put it through our grid on what we think leadership is and what we think head means. And we miss the whole point. I don't know how we ended up down here. We just went down a whole little bunny rabbit trail. That's not in my notes today. Yes. Hebrews 13, 17. I've got to put that in the back of my head. I just know it's in 13. Apart from when I second guess myself and think there's 14 chapters in Hebrews. <laughs> Any other comments? Questions? Can you just summarize then what submission is? Oh! Out of... I kind of got lost in that. <laughs> like, you're saying that it's not hierarchical, but, oh. but then what is it? Or, I don't know. If you could summarize what you just said. Uh, it comes out, I, I would say submission is out of loving one another. I submit my preferences to you. I lay down. Wait, see, when you die to your own rights, you can actually walk in submission. Okay, it's a fruit of that. All right. It's not about your agenda. It's not about your way. But you still have conviction. Okay. There's nothing wrong with having conviction because conviction comes from the word of the Lord and you have faith. All right. It's not everything's vague and we just do what everyone else wants to do. You wouldn't do anything. Okay. And then you look at different anointings the Lord will place amongst you. And the different giftings. And so you submit to those. When you're on outreach and you got a, you got your, you got your team together and you're out on the street and one of you, one of you is a real evangelist, that's your gifting set. The rest of you might come in behind them and say, "All right, lead us in this time because of your gifting." So the anointing the Lord's given you, we recognize that, and would you lead us? If we get it wrong, we we start thinking, "Oh, we're the final authority." No influence us into the purposes of God because you have the gift you have a gift and so you submit into the the evangelist at that time who starts going you know what we need to get on the street we need to stand there we need to preach the gospel and the rest of you go no way I'm not doing that yeah but if you'll submit to the gifting 
you'll, you'll then all walk in that and they'll lead you. Okay. Oh, but I don't like, that's not how I do evangelism. Well, you're not dead. Die. Okay, it's not about your preference. So what if you've got to stand in a box and preach the gospel? Who cares if it's not your preference? Okay. You're not going to break a leg doing it. You're not going to be led into sin doing it. It's just your preference and your fear pops up. Okay, so the gifting will often lead you through your fears. Okay, because it's not their fear. Uh, I'm not scared about standing on a box. The evangelists will say, this is, I do this all the time. I, I practice it in a mirror in my bedroom. I'm, th- this is what I live for. And you're like, man, you're crazy. You know, I'm just a lover. I just, I just want to get beside them. And, and it's like, you know what? There'll be seasons for that. But you need to tell the evangelist, shut up. Just zip it for a minute while we just show compassion. We'll get to the message, but we will get there. Hold on. Just, let's just show a bit of compassion. And so you submit to the gifting. Okay. Rather than, well, you, this is my gifting, and you just got to fear God rather than fear man. You just completely split your team down the middle, and we all have the joint. Question. Well, see, God, God also in that ordains, um, he ordains authorities. Okay. Now, Romans gives us a scripture that says, hey, all authorities are ordained by God. Well, you have to question the character of God as to why he would ordain the leader of North Korea. Okay. So you, you get into a conundrum with that verse if you think it's about the individual. Okay. The idea of authority structure and domains is by God, okay? And so he's come up with that idea. Uh, the major reason that I love in which uh, I heard Dean Sherman talk about in this teaching in regards to authorities and domains is the fact that when you have those domains, it, th- it slows down the work of the evil one, okay? If you had no authority structure on earth... The evil one can go rampant anywhere and cause effect anywhere. Okay? And so the whole idea, so all authority is ordained by God. Don't get mixed up with who all authorities, individuals slash people are ordained by God. Okay? Do you see the difference? So, well, I guess they're the, they're the leaders, so they must have been ordained by God. Okay. Now we do realize then we hear Timothy and Timothy goes, hey, because of the fact that these guys in authority do have an amazing influence. So as parents, we have an authority in the domain of the family. Okay, we've got three kids. Now, if we use that as a small domain world, you know, Timothy says, hey, pray for your leaders. Okay, so, you know, kids, pray for your parents if we use this analogy. Why? Because what we do, the decisions that we make, have a far-reaching effect than just ourselves. If I make a bad decision as a parent, my kids get affected. Okay. And so to hinder the work of the evil one, 
All right? And I, what I do is I create a domain then that as I lead like Christ and allow, allow God to be the head and the, and the instructor of our home, I then I didn't just put a shut up for the enemy. The enemy can't come into my home without me making a doorway for him to do so. Okay, those doorways come through things like TV, what I watch, what I let my kids watch, what I let them play with. I'm very aware of what comes influences into my home. Put on a large scale, president of a nation. Pray for your leaders. Decisions that they make will affect everyone in that nation. So cry out to the Lord for them on their behalf because they make decisions that affect everybody. So you, you had, uh, is the individual, did God, you know, in a democracy, did God put all the ballot papers in and get the person he wanted in there? You know, well, no, there's an element of free choice of individuals can make their decision. But once they're there, they're there, so pray for them. Don't go preaching around the fact whether or not you think it was God's choice or not. The fact is that they're there. And now they're going to make decisions to change you. So you better cry out to the Lord and say, God, we pray for this leadership body, that they would hear the voice of the Lord. Show us how we can speak into it. Show us how we can be a voice into it. And most of us in our, in our nations are free to be able to do that in some process. Okay? Don't go yelling around screaming about the problem if you're not willing to speak into it. Okay? Don't, don't speak into it by running a blog site. Speak into it by actually finding the channel to deal with your local county, to deal with your, your, your state governments, to you know, find the people, go and meet with them and say, hey, we want to bring this to you. We want to bring change into this issue. That's the joy of most of our democracies. It's the nations that don't have that. You start to see the oppression of the people. They can't bring change. You know? So don't get confused with aspects of authority. So um, when you get into a, a context, so say here, you've got leaders here. Okay? Now, Crystal and Andrew can't self-appoint themselves. Okay? They didn't walk onto the campus and go, hmm. I will be a DTS leader. They didn't do that. They got no authority to do that. Okay. I have authority to do that. If we look on my, my head, I have trained director, and I have authority to go, hey, I give you the DTS leadership. Okay. And so you can't proclaim something that you're not. All right. It's like you don't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm now a husband and a parent. You, you're not. You, you either are or you aren't. Okay. So there's conditions even to these guys leading. It's like, well, what's your commitment? What's your character like? You know, so those recommendations come. See, I didn't know Andrew. And um, so I start asking lots of questions. What's his character like? What's this? What's that? And I find out that information. He's like, did you? Really? <laughs> I'm not silly. I wouldn't put anyone in DTS leadership that I'm not going to like. Because they have a huge impact. Okay. And it was also a wonderful thing. I ended up in his house. 
somehow I ended up staying in his house for one night back in March. And I didn't put two and two together. That was the Andrew York. I was just going to stay at a friend's house that Jim had hooked me up with. Sat down, met the guy and went, oh, something in the spirit happened. Just by sitting there on his couch, I felt the Lord go, it's all over him. You know, run with it. So, you know, Crystal I knew beforehand. And so when you get into a context like this, see, people are, are placed in a place, hopefully in a Christian context, by an aspect of authority and domain. And say, hey, we anoint you in this area of domain and authority. And we give you that domain and authority. The school staff, see, we prayed for them before the school started and say, hey, we want to pray for you. We want to anoint you for the task that God's given you. Okay? Because I have that domain. And the leadership here has it. And so you come under their authority. All right? But again, be, be, if we f- most of us flip into a hierarchical model, okay, and we think that's an issue of control, they make the decisions, you know, and there's an element where they do. That's just to help you function. Imagine if every morning they came in here and said, guys, we're just going to have a vote on whether we should have lectures today. Can you just put it all in and come back? Uh, 31 said no and 29 said yes. So sorry, guys. We're a democracy. We're a free land. You just do whatever you want to do today. You'd all be like, give us our money back. Okay, I didn't come here to just be just waffled around the place. I want someone to be giving some direction as to where we're going. Okay, and so they serve the process by setting up direction and their attitude should be one of service and they're serving you and they're making themselves available for you they set up this room they make sure your you know your 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 bedrooms are set up before you come they're serving you in order to um, meet a place where you're going hey i want to know about god and i want to know the purposes of god if they started setting things up and going, hey, we're going to serve you and, and teach you how to use a video camera, you'd start going, that's not why I came here for. You know, maybe later you will. But you go, this is not the primary reason. If we came in here at lectures one day and said, we're just going to teach you about building houses this week. You'd be like, what? It's not what I came for. They wouldn't be serving you. Okay. But they, they pray about it. They spend time with the Lord and say, God, what, do you, what are the teachers you want to bring in? What are the topics you want to bring in? And they submit that. They even come to us and say, here, here's the teachers, here's the topics. And so you start submitting one to another. So a couple of things, I went back to them and said, hey, what do you think of that? You know, or I went to their leaders with Ben and who the leadership team and said, what do you think about this for the summer DTS? And it becomes a submitting back and forth. And we dialogue and we talk and we start to see God turn up over it. And that's when I get excited. Rather than me sitting in a room somewhere and mapping out the summer DTS, the lectures, the outreaches, because I have authority. Walking up to Andrew and Christmas, say, there's your DTS. You can accept no more than 35 Uh, You have to have 15 males and they have to be 20 females. They have to go to three different nations and God bless you, submit. 
They would throw rocks at me. I would pray <laughs> that they would throw rocks at me and go, I'm not. That's not submitting. See, my role is to submit to them. So when you start looking at your relationship with your parents now, the honoring usually comes out of more submission of heart now. Submission is a heart attitude, not an action. Okay? Obedience is an action. Submission is heart attitude. All right? Um, the other thing that submission is, is willing to bear the consequence of not following through on a particular action if that authority deems it. Okay? So you can submit in your heart to going to China and preach or, or, or Afghanistan. You can go, hey, I'm going to submit in my heart to the authorities and it's generosity towards them. It's loving kindness towards them. You're not in rebellion because you're preaching the gospel. Rebellion, again, is your heart attitude. But you are disobeying the law. Okay? So you either go into a place like Afghanistan going, stuff the law. We fear God better than man. You can't produce love then to the leaders of the nation in your prayers. And you capped your influence. You also kept the Spirit of God working through you. Okay? So as you submit, you go in and say, hey, we just love the nation of Afghanistan. We don't agree with the law that you can't preach the gospel. And we go in and we're willing to bear the consequence. And we won't get angry at the leadership if they throw us in jail or we get killed. We rejoice. You won't be rejoicing if you're dead. Well, you will be. You'll be in heaven, but people around you won't be. It's an attitude of heart. Okay, but you can rebel. You can go in there with an attitude of rebellion. Rebellion will never bring God's presence to protect you, provide for you, and watch out for you. Submission will bring those qualities of the kingdom. Submission is an attractant. Okay, you want God to turn up with you? Have a heart of submission. Okay, really it's a yielded heart. It's a yielded lifestyle. Okay, and it starts to work itself out with relationships to different ones of authority in your life, of parents and of leaders and of friends. And submission then becomes this yielded, soft heart. Okay, it's not some formal thing that you do every now and then. It's, it's the way you live 24-7. I am submitted. I am yielded. Okay, do I obey everything? No, you don't have to. But you've got to be willing to bear the consequence with joy. Okay. Okay, so along the sub, like, lines of submitting to leadership, should you submit to bad leadership or is a rebellion against bad leadership a bad thing? S submission is required all the time because submission is a heart attitude. Okay, you're, you're asking about obedience, really. Should I obey bad leaders? Okay, David submitted to Saul in his heart all the time. Okay, that's our quality. He had a bad leader that wanted to kill him. Okay, so you can't get any worse than that. When your leader starts throwing spears at you, you know, then write the book. <laughs> All right, but that's really the pinnacle for me. 
And if my leader wanted to throw stuff at me and abuse me and physically try to kill me, then I know I'm under a bad leader, but I can still submit because submission is a heart attitude. Okay. Did David flee from Saul? Yes. Did Saul want him around? You need to be here. Well, yes, because he wanted to kill him. But David, so David wasn't obeying Saul because he knew if he did that, he would have been dead. But he stayed submitted and allowed the Lord to deal with it. Still put boundaries up, still did actions that didn't, weren't Saul's actions. So he fled, he fled to the mountains and caves and, and a time where he, where a little bit of arrogance popped up. And he walked up and he sliced the corner of his cloak in the cave. God convicts him. Says, hey, get rid of the arrogance, get rid of the pride. You know. And so you hear things like David then quotes, hey, who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? And we miss the whole point there. Authoritarian structures come in and say, hey, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Like, oh, I can't speak against leadership. Good golly, if you can't speak against leadership, run away from it. Okay. David's following quote in there is, why are you chasing after me? Why do you hunt me down like a dog? Do you think he's questioning his leadership? But he still has a submitted heart. Yes. Um, okay, so. Isn't this a fun subject? Yeah, I get what you're. I get what you're saying, um, and I think you just answered my question. Is um, is it still be submitting? If you have a sum, um, a submitted heart, um, uh, what if you have like a a good idea about something? Like, is it? So I'm assuming it's okay. To, to share that with Amen. the leader. And yes. In, in, if you do it in the right way, okay. So. A, a good leader will draw it out of you. Right. Okay. It's a okay. quality of leadership. So it's like, hey, follow. guys, give us some creation. What should we do here? A good leader will try and give ownership to a whole group. Okay. But that's a skill you learn. Yeah. Okay. When I look back to some of the first teams I ever led, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, I, I, need to, I need to make right decisions. And I look back and I go, man, I was so fearful of my team falling apart that I created every policy to protect it. And it just, there's a skill that gets learned and trained as leaders as well. So sometimes you'll be under a, a learning leader, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, See, submission will allow you to be under someone who maybe you can lead better than them. But submission, you'll do it freely because it's a service. You'll go to them and say, hey, you've been given the responsibility, so how can I serve you? It will never be an arrogance of, I could do it better than you. So I wish you would ask me. You know, that, that's not submission. That's rebellion and independence. Okay? But you can go to them and say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? I've got some suggestions. And if, you, and if you've got a, sometimes a fearful leader, they might go, no, no, I've got it all together. I've worked it all out. You're like, okay, that's cool. Just let me know. You'll get those. Because they're human beings. All right? Question, comment. How, what do you do if, like, yeah, you've grown up in this world and the standards of this world and, like, authority figures have, like, it's, you've always had a bad image of authority figures and have issues, like, where authority has been abused. 
or like culturally where it is very hierarchical. Like how do you replace that image when it's been so ingrained? And like, yeah, and when I hear submission, I think of like slavery and it's, Christ didn't die for us to be in bondage. And so. It is, it has a lot of bad connotations attached to submission. And the church hasn't helped that. You know, uh, that's why it's hard often as leaders. Uh, I, I find it hard as a leader of a group to teach on submission because there's a conflict of interest. It can be picked up that I'm asking for obedience and I want control. Does that make sense? And so you watch often leaders who, are, uh, who are steer away from control a lot don't speak on submission a lot because of the real negative that it is. But what that co- the problem that that causes is that people don't get a right view of submission from people who get it. Does that make sense? But what you do get is you get a very strong teaching on submission from those who use it as a domain of control and authority in a hierarchical model. What do you do in that? You walk in submission, yieldedness, joy, kindness, compassion, love, forgiveness. You just, that's what you walk in. That's always your response. You may not agree with things, and that's okay. You, you know, um, the domain of the individual is always you. Okay? But the question sometimes I ask is, what if I don't agree with something, is it a personal preference or is it a moral issue? Okay? If it's a personal preference, there's a good chance that I just need to die to it and just, you know what, that's not how I would do it, but big deal, it's not going to hurt anybody, let's go ahead. If it's a moral issue and it will cause hurt and offense, then sometimes you can step back and go, hey, I don't know whether I want to participate in that. That's often the grid I will use and go, it's not going to harm anything, no one's going to be offended, it's just the way in which they want to do it and their leadership style and their leadership preference and so I'll run with that you know does that make sense that's often how I try and differentiate between the two yeah um about David you said you say that his submission is a hard attitude so how I didn't understand how he was submitted to Saul because yeah he didn't kill him because he loved him or what but he didn't do he didn't exactly run to him when he told him to. Like, he doesn't do anything Saul says, but he still submits to him. Like, doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Be- because a lot of times his submission is so attached to obedience. Yeah, so... But it's not. Can you say, like, how did David submit to Saul? Submission is David's heart attitude. So you see his soft heart. You see his teachable heart. It becomes his attitude into learn. He, he learns about himself from what Paul, but from what Saul puts him through. You know, uh, he won't rise up against him. You watch him then with his son Absalom. He's still walking in submission. Here comes Absalom to take the crown. Proclaims himself king. What does David do? Hey, that could be God. Who am I to say that that's not God? I'm king and I know that, but who am I to say God's not doing that? So I'm just going to walk. And he walks barefoot out of Jerusalem. Barefoot in that time is a sign of yieldedness. 
okay? Because you're a slave. Slaves don't wear shoes. So he walks out of Jerusalem barefooted, going, you know what? I, I know that I could get killed because two kings in one land don't usually stay. One usually goes. And um, who am I to say God's not doing that? Do you see his heart attitude start to come through? He doesn't exercise his own authority. He could. And we would all think he would be justified. But he doesn't. Well, you know, if God wants him in, I'll remove myself. And then what you watch happen is you watch God then remove Absalom. Okay. And takes him, puts him in a fork of a tree, and he gets killed. He gets killed then by one of David's guys. And what does David do with the guy who kills him? Kills him. Who are you to touch him? There's something in the heart of David that is, is about, I will not exercise my own authority and right, even though I've been given a domain as king. You know. Does that make sense? It's one of the... It, so you can obey... And still not be in submission. You can be here today and not be in submission. Because submission is your heart attitude. You're sitting there, you can be like, oh, I don't really want to be here today, I don't want to listen, I just want to do my own thing. You're on your own little independence and you're probably rebelling. Submitting is a heart attitude. Sorry, that was she was first. We'll get there. Um, but isn't it right to rebel sometimes, like, if our... No, no, no. Wrong word. Well... It's never right to rebel because rebellion is a heart attitude. What's the right word? What, okay. yeah. Disobey. What the right... Disobey? Yeah. But, like, let's take abortion. Like, you don't want to submit to abortion even in your heart. It's, it's just wrong. It's evil. You don't have to, yeah. So, like, it is a policy in our countries, in our government, yeah. and yeah. you don't want to submit to that. Exactly. So... If your, if your know, government like, said, hey, you have to have an abortion, you can disobey that. Yeah. I know, but we're tolerating it in our country. Like, uh, the, the whole different issue. Whole different issue. Because you, you're, you're starting to hit issues, which is very right. Okay, we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't allow sin in our lands. That's what we become voices for. Okay. And so, you know, when we start being a voice for it, you'll start to hit structures and people and individuals that go, hey, shut up. And you'll be like, I'm going to disobey you because I fear God more than I fear man. Okay? But I wouldn't quote that to them. But that's the motivation because that just gets perceived as arrogance. Mm. Does that make sense? And so there's nothing wrong with standing up for things in your, in your nation. That's right and true. See, um, being complacent and apathetic about sin in your land really is an aspect of uh, our own dilutedness of, the, of what God wants for our nation. Okay? We, we just succumb to what the nation says. And so really what we do is we start obeying it. Government said that's the law. Okay, we're okay with that law. So, well, no, no, we're not okay with that law. Okay. But if I have rebellion in my heart towards that authority, I cannot 
pray blessing, pray the fear of the Lord, pray life, pray protection. You know, I can never pray those prayers with any sense of power because love's not in it. I can still love my enemies. Remember, that's what Jesus talks about, love your enemies. There's something in a in kingdom value. You can disagree with people, but you ought to love them. Okay? Is it a feel love? No, it's more agape. Okay? It's just the all-encompassing, hey, I love you, with the love of the Lord. Everyone knows that song. Okay? But the feel love is like a brother, brotherly, sisterly love. You may not have that type of love for them. You know, we're not going to have dinner together. You know? But I don't hate you. Oh, um, this is just really good for me to hear. Um, all, everything you're saying is really good. I just um, like having the discussion. <laughs> yeah, um, when I when I was growing up, my my father, um, I think he he didn't really understand submission. Um, he got the you know, man is ahead of the household part, and then a woman should or a wife should submit to him. But he didn't do the other half of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember I have memories of him chasing my mom around the house with a Bible, like screaming at her about how he's the head of the house and she needs to submit to him. And it wasn't in a loving way. And this is really good for me to hear. Just because, you know, it's a two-way street. It's something, you know, it's, it's in love. And it's just, I always thought of it as, like, this awful, you know, thing. And it's, it's really not. It's just a state of the heart and surrounded by love. And it's just really important. So <laughs> it's good. It's, it's submission holds unity together. Yeah. See, I, I find Lawrence Lauren submits to me on stuff, which I find amazing. The founder of our mission will email me and say, Andrew, uh, you're the leader of training. Can I submit this to you? I'm like, of course you can. <laughs> what am I to do? <laughs> you know. And what happens is you start to have a mutual, uh, mutuality. That's not even a word, but there's something like that. A, mutu- a mutual rel- a mutuality. Did you like that? A mutual relationship of, hey, I've got this thought from God. What do you think? And then what you, they spark it back and creativity is birthed. Okay. Whereas the other way becomes a very dead process. Uh, we're just waiting for our leader to tell us what to do today. Oh, got the email. Okay, will I obey? Come back, right, ready for the next instruction. There's no creativity in that at all. That's just boring. You know, but that's what we do when we set up too much control. It's you can't do it without asking. You know. Any other questions? Since we're in the subject, so when everything you said about submission, so what does it really mean that the man is the head of the family? Because I always ask my mom for this, and she will always tell me that she and my dad, they're a team together. So that's her answer. So, I, yeah, it always bothered me, but less now, because I know we're supposed to submit to each other. So if you love your husband, you want to submit to him, and if he has any brain cells in his brain, he loves you back, so he wants to submit to you. Like, any boy want to respond? Without offending anyone. <laughs> But very true if he has any brain cells in his brain. <laughs> All right. Just that's the problem with boys. Their brain cells aren't in their brain. 
There's something unique. Uh, what, just one of the, a girl. Why don't you stand up? Any girl? Here we go. Here we go. Oh. All right, everybody. This is a girl. Okay. God designed girls out of His heart and out of His purpose to reflect something about God. See, we use terminology about He and He and He. But male and female, he created them in his image. Okay, but we use a lot of he's for God. Okay, but both came out of God. So there's something reflected in God by a girl. Okay, it's very simple. All right, sit down. A boy, why don't you stand up? Anybody? Be our specimen? Okay. Look at them all. All right, this is a boy. Boys reflect. Sorry, I did use girl, so, you know, I'm having to use boy. I'm not reflecting your maturity. All right. So this is a boy who also reflects God. Okay. Doesn't reflect more of God than a girl. Okay. Just because we use he a lot and Jesus is a boy and when he came to earth and all this sort of stuff, like it, we, we heavily weight our societies towards the weight of the male. Okay. You can sit down if you want to. So when, when two come together, two are better than one, all right, you get this aspect of there's stuff in God with the girl and there's stuff in God with the boy and they come together in the purposes of God and they create this amazing unity in God called husband and wife. Okay? And if that is done right... The amazing stuff about being a girl and the amazing stuff about being a boy will both bear fruit. Not one more than the other. You have a lot of cultural things that you've grown up with that talks about the man is the breadwinner, he's got to have the bigger job, and our society leans that way. Males, we get more money when we get jobs. Girl can do the same job, but statistically, girls will get paid less. Why is that? Are they less gifted? No. There's stuff in God. God didn't put all the weak stuff in a girl and put all the strong stuff in a boy. No. When we're parenting our kids, my wife is so much stronger than me. So there's categories. There's categories in our life that aren't just even general to females and general to males. But there's something in my home... When my wife knows I'm helping deal with finances. So this is where we get a little bit of the, the, the breadwinner stuff from. There is an aspect where a male provides security. And my wife loves that. My wife is attracted to that. She goes, hey, that's what I want. I want that security. And when I'm not doing that, when I start being an apathetic, lazy little boy, going, oh, you know, God will provide. Trust God. She's like, show me some evidence. Do something. You know, she's hungering for the security that which in what I have in God, I bring. Okay, but I don't tend to bring that tenderness that she has. Which is another quality of God. It's not, tenderness is not less than security. 
It's just another quality. So she has this tenderness. Does that mean I'm arrogant and loud and, and, and annoying and, and hurtful? No, that I shouldn't be that. I should be tender also. But she's an amazing tenderness. And so then you get into the scripture that says, hey, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay. It, 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 it's a help for you. He's speaking about a certain situation to a group of people. Okay. So he's teaching them, hey, hey, wives, just help, help submit into them. Okay. And then he flips it around and says, guys, love them. Stop being an arrogant pain in the backside and love them. Stop exercising your authority and exercising your manpower and blah, 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 and flip and love on them. And you have this circle that starts to, that starts to go together. When I start helping bring security in my life, my wife gets drawn into aspects of submission. And then I submit to her because Ephesians 4 has two verses before it. It says submit one to another. So I submit to faith and say, hey, what do you think? And there are categories which I'm strong in. There's categories which she's strong in. And as we come together, two are better than one, we run together quite strong. Because we submit to each other's giftings and callings. You know, my wife just got back from speaking in DTSs in Australia. She's a far better teacher than I am. And I love that. So she gets rung up the other day by Canada. Hey, can you come out and speak in our DTS? Now, it's a week before I'm supposed to go to Australia. And so we're like, oh, how do we make this happen? You know, so we pray about it. We ask the Lord. It's not about whose is more important. We go to the Lord together and say, God, what do we do? We want to do both. God, tell us what we're to do. So I submit some ideas to faith. This is how it could work. What do you reckon? And she submits and she thinks through some ideas. And we come up with the word of the Lord. How we raise our kids. Do we just default into, well, Andrew works 40 hours a week and faith's a mum at home? No, we ask the Lord, say, God, what do you do? And we start to see the design of God is that faith has this amazing capacity and it's all researched and proven that there's something about the mum's role with kids at the young age. But there's a point where it kicks in and it starts to be the dad. Now, I have a role now. I don't vacate the building and go, well, you know, when they get to 12, then it's my job. I have a role now. But you look at my kids and they'll go, where's mom? If dad's home alone with kids, they'll be like, that's not how mom does it, dad. I'm like, well, you're just getting that tonight. <laughs> like, dad's not very creative. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm not very good at this. <laughs> I just get it together. And... But something starts to shift. And we're starting to notice it in my daughter. She's starting to notice her dad more. The requirement of dad is starting to rise. So if I'm out of the building a lot, if I'm working too much, if I'm traveling too much, my daughter starts to lack the parenting that she requires that mum can never give her because she is not a dad. So we see the family unit God designed is mother and father, male and female, for the purposes of reflecting a fuller picture of God so that children would grow up learning about God, seeing aspects of God. They're seeing tenderness. They're seeing strength. They're seeing 
affection, they're seeing kindness, they're seeing the gentleness. They see it displayed between mum and dad. They see it displayed down to them and they learn about God. But if you don't see it in your parents and it doesn't get drawn down to you, you come out of your teenage years wondering whether God is kind, gentle, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. How's God really loving? You start reading the Bible in that context and you look at all the Old Testament, how he wiped out places of the earth and killed this people and killed that and see it just affirms that God is not kind. God is not compassionate because the grid in which you have grown up in has affected you. The family unit was designed to reflect God. That's why there's such an attack on the family unit. Enemy wants to destroy our family unit probably more than anything on the planet because you destroy that thing, everything else will break down. Because we'll have kids coming out of homes that have no view of God and they become leaders. And so they start changing the laws. So the family unit, because, well, I didn't grow up with it, so you don't need it. You don't know what you're missing. Oh, you've come way around. Father, we do. We just pray, God, you'd give us a good grasp of submission. Lord, submitting one to another is recognizing God in the other person. And Lord, we would have fresh eyes, put new glasses on us, new, new perspective, God, to see you in each other, to see the gifts of God in each other, and to serve that and to see each other enriched. That's really at the heart of submission. I would submit to you because I want to see you enriched. I want to see you blessed. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd put new glasses on, of love, of affection, that would build up one another. Well, and that'll affect us in every relationship. That'll affect us in our, our future marriage relationships. That'll affect us in our friendships. That'll affect us in our, mother, in our relationship with parents. That'll affect us in our relationship with leaders. It just affects everything. Lord, that we would have hearts that are submissive, God. Hearts that are yielded to you and to one another. Give us your perspective, God. And Lord, we pray for a new burst of creativity that would start to come because we're yielded. It's not just about our way, not just about our preference, but God, new creativity would come. We would see things we've never seen before because of our own pride, Lord, where we've stopped and not wanted to think about it or didn't think it was valuable. We'll see things in cultures and, and the nations of the earth, God, that, that you have placed in people. And, Lord, we would draw that out. We would draw that out amongst us. So we'll just release a new creativity into our spirits. Lord, convict us of rebellion. Lord, let us be ones to never go near that thing. It's at the heart of the evil one where he sets himself up and says, hey, I can be like God. It's the heart of the fall. It's the very heart of him being cast out of heaven. It's the very core nature of who he is.
anything that goes towards rebellion, we know we're going and leaning into the enemy's camp. And God, let us be people that would never dabble or never go near it, God. We just don't want that filth. We just don't want that in our lives, God. Rid us of it, Lord. Our own pride, our own arrogance. Lord, that we can set the standards, that we can set the agenda, that we can set how things should work. God, we just release and we just die at the cross. And say, burn us up. Burn us up completely. We sit on the altar and we just be fried up. In Romans 12, let our lives be an act of worship. Let, let, let us be renewed. Burn us up, God. Burn us up completely, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we have a break? We can have some more questions afterwards if you want, but come back at... Lectures? Well, you probably don't have a submitted heart. Okay. See, the Bible does this whole bunch of contradictions. Have joy in trials. Those two words don't go together. You know. So things may be a trial for you. Some of you, your learning styles, sitting in a classroom, this is a trial. It's like, ah, oh, make me sit in a chair. I can't sit in a chair. You know. And so, what's your heart attitude? You're like, you know what? I love the fact that I can just, I'm going mad. You know? The beatitude, hit this thing and, you know, consider it when people, consider it joy when people persecute you. You see these contradictions and really it comes out of this yielded heart. Okay? But it, that, that, that first and foremost is an aspect of your salvation. Okay, because what you did when you got saved is you yielded your life. I am no longer my own, but I am Christ's. Okay. What happens is we start picking up things after that that we think are still our own. Well, my right to live in my nation. You have no right to live in your nation. Wherever God tells you to live on earth is where you're to go. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have to live near my family. No, you don't. If God says to live on the other side of the world, you live on the other side of the world. You're to obey. Obedience to God is a whole different issue. You're called to obey God and submit to God. So it becomes about your attitude and your actions. Okay. Those two come together with God. But you see how God is sensitive and kind to us and he knows that man's fallen. When he drops that into your relationships with people, he knocks off the obedience. Because he knows that, good golly, you're going to have some really weird people. And if I, follow, if I flow that down to how you're supposed to relate to me and I put it in how you're supposed to relate to people... You've got fallen people making decisions. So what he does is he keeps the heart attitude. And he says, look, keep the loving, kind heart attitude that you have towards me, and it will release me in your circumstance. Okay? But you don't have to obey. 
Because I know that that could harm you and you won't be protected because you've got sinful people in your midst. But to me, because I'll never lead you into sin, you're to obey me in your action and you're to submit to me in your attitude. So with God, it, it comes into both realms. Because there's no sin in him. There's no darkness in him. All right? But to men, he just brought the best. He brought this best part down of loving extension of heart attitude and forgiveness and kindness that you would do that to one another. Okay? He throws in the obedience for children in my perspective because that's where you're supposed to learn something about God. My children learn about obeying God through obeying mum and dad. The weight's not on them. The weight is on me. If I don't reflect God and telling, teaching them to obey me in that climate, my kids get stuffed up. If I don't reflect the kindness of God, and I, and, I, and I am harsh, and I am abrupt, and I am not loving, and I'm teaching my children to obey in that climate, it's the wrong place. My kids can still learn to obey, but they get stuffed up. Because then they start reading the Bible and they start going, hey, I'm supposed to obey, obey God, another authority, woohoo. Okay, and the enemy starts throwing in half-truths. And we start to question who God is because we saw it in our earthly authority of mum and dad. So when you become parents, you are to teach your children to obey, but you, te you teach them in a climate and a culture where mum and dad reflect God. If mum and dad don't reflect God, you can still teach them to obey, but they will be screwed up. And they'll have trouble obeying God later on because the people that were saying that they're supposed to be like God really weren't. And the Bible says a whole bunch of stuff about God and I don't really get it yet. And the enemy comes in and says, don't trust God. So why will you obey God if you won't trust him? So as a parent, see the importance of the family unit. Then you can look at your own family unit now and go, okay, maybe I have problems with trusting God and obeying God. Maybe I can see why now. It doesn't mean you have resentment against mum and dad. Because you know what? They're human beings. They made mistakes. And so will you. Just endeavor to make less than what they did. And that's what I'm doing. But I still see the same traits of my dad in me. I thought, you know what, I'm going to not be like my dad. And my dad was a really good dad. I liked my dad. You know, he was kind to me. You know. And then I got married and I started to notice little things. I'm like, oh, my dad does that. Hmm. You know? And then I had kids and I went, oh, my dad used to do that. Hmm. Maybe I'm a bit more like him than I thought I was. Then I start going, all right, God, 
So I start talking to my dad about it. I'm like, you know what? I notice I have similar weaknesses to you. And he says, yeah, they are my weaknesses. And I got them from my dad. But you should have seen how my dad did it. And he starts telling me his story. And I'm like, oh, man, I was brought up in heaven compared to you. So he saw a, a level of restoration come in because he's following God. Okay. Now I'm coming in and, we, and we, so we start to see the blessing of generation upon generation applying the principles of God. So those of you who are in like third and fourth generation of Christian families who are following God with passion and filled with the Holy Spirit, not just attending church, as you, you, you'll know the difference. You'll start to see the blessing and inheritance you have but by what you learnt in the social structure of your family. Those of you who are first generation Christians are really just trying to make your way through this whole thing and what does it mean? Because where you were supposed to learn and get a grasp upon who God is was as a kid with mum and dad. God designed the authority structure, the family. That was his design, but it can be distorted and is distorted. So you can start to see about who you are, why I'm the way I am. And you can start to say, hey, it wasn't all God's design. People had decisions in here that made me the way I am. And the enemy had a way in here that made me the way I am. And now I want to start to change that and be refined and renewed so that every generation after me. And really, you can only influence possibly three. You should influence, you know, most of you will influence two generations. You'll do you and your grandkids. And if you're really old and can still talk and walk around when you're next ones, you'll influence that third generation as well. And you build the inheritance. Isn't that exciting? You all get to do that one day? They're like, hey, just bring me the other, just bring me the partner first, just... I'm happy with stage one. Can, can I get that in the next year? So, all right. What did we do before all of this? What have we been talking about? Repentance and forgiveness. I know this is closely attached, so I don't feel like we deviated too far. That's why I allowed myself to stay here. We didn't go into building houses. We stayed in the topic realm. Okay. Mm -hmm. if you truly repent okay, it starts with recognizing that you were wrong okay. and you only recognize you were wrong because someone else is right so who's right who Who's right? God. So when he says, don't lie, and you lie, but you don't think lying's wrong, you don't think God's right. Did I confuse you? <laughs> so who's right? No. All right. So we see the law. Let's just touch on this. The purpose of the law. Okay. 
Tick, 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 tick. All right. Okay, so it's to show us. It's all right, backwards and forwards. Our guilt before God. Okay. Gives us knowledge of sin. We didn't have the law, we don't know that we sinned. Okay? To show us the depth of our sin. Okay, we see aspects of don't commit adultery. All right? And Jesus comes in and says, Hey, let me tell you where that starts. Okay? If you look upon a girl in the wrong way, you commit adultery in your heart. So we start to see the depth of it, okay? To be instructed on how we need Christ. If you think you can restore your relationship with God just by sending him flowers and a mail or something like that, it doesn't work. It's only through the cross. Okay? So whenever we sin, we know we've got to get to the cross. That is the first point of call. Okay? So if, you're, if you recognize one day that God convicted you of sin... The thing you have to do is you run before the cross. Okay? You're like, where's that? All right, well, it's just running to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I run towards the cross and I lay this down and I repent and I ask your forgiveness. That's the first point of call. Don't reside with sin. Don't let it hang around you. You know what? I'll deal with that later. And sometimes we feel convicted and it just stays there. Okay? It's not supposed to stay there. All right, the guilt has popped up. You recognize it was wrong, and you just hang out with the guilt. Okay? Sometimes because there's a lot of shame attached to the guilt. So what happens is you get bound up by sin. There's so much shame attached to it. I can't tell anybody. I can't even go to God. He already knows. Okay? But we don't feel worthy to go to him we feel we 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 don't feel like we we're deserving to be towards the father and so we are bound up we're in bondage okay the cross is freedom it's the whole point sin will bind you up and what happens is you get bound up and you end up in death that's what sin leads to it leads you into death so it starts to affect you 
And because you can't separate your soul, body, emotions, it starts to affect every area. You're decaying because of sin. You live in a world, your body has got a death sentence because of sin. See, heaven has no sin. There's no death sentence in heaven. You live for eternity. Your body's disappearing right now and dying. You all have it. Okay? Because you're on the earth. Does that make sense? It's really simple. All right, but we start to see it affects us. So, but what we have is we have the message of the cross. And so as we go and preach the message of the cross and freedom, we can start to reverse the purposes of the evil one. He's not quiet. And he's not just sitting around going, hey, I just want to just, I'll, you know, just hurt you a little bit. He's quite forceful in what he does. He has a plan and purpose to see you destroyed. Enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Never interpret that as God. Okay? I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. John 10.10. 10. Okay, so it's pretty easy to interpret God. Oh, Jesus came to have life. Enemy came to kill. Don't ever get them mixed up. If I do that, I'm going to have life. No, you don't. If you sin, you will have death. Okay? And don't ever confuse death with God. All right? The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life for the full. So as we look at aspects of sin, run to the cross. Run to keep short accounts so we run to the cross so we sin against god we deal with that as quick as possible we sin against man we deal with that as quick as possible we don't let it hang around if you know you did something wrong against somebody run and get it fixed up okay scriptures we talked about this earlier if you come to the altar and you have a problem with your brother or your sister, go back to fix it before you come back into the altar. Okay? One of the aspects that will hinder you from hearing God, walking in His presence, that's a fruit, okay? Hearing God's a fruit of walking with God, is sin. So sin will block it. Well, you know, I'll just keep hearing God and... I can just keep walking my Christian walk and I don't have to deal with what I know I did wrong to that person. No, you'll become dead because you won't hear God. Because you can't walk into the presence of God, which is living by the Spirit. Because sin has created a block for that. If we look at, well, we're going to use a little bit of this template this week. Uh, we'll just cheat a little bit. That's terrible, but okay. We have the outer courts. It's the Old Testament temple, template, uh, temple. The inner courts and the holy of holies. Okay, what was out here in the outer court? 
brazen altar. Big flat thing that what they fry on it. Lots of cows and sheep and pigeons and okay. Everyone knew if you send in, in the Israeli camp, it'd be Johnny walking late at night or in the morning with his goat. <coughs> through all the tents, walking towards the tabernacle. You're lying there in your tent going, oh, Johnny must have done something wrong again. He's taking his goat. You know. It was very public. You're bringing your pigeons along. Oh, <laughs> Johnny must have done something wrong again. Let's get rid of the pigeons. Okay. Everybody knew. Wasn't some secret thing dragging your cow up there one day. Okay. Sin wasn't hidden. Right. You could even associate the animal to maybe what it was. You check it out. Oh, it's a goat. What did he do? Could have been this, this, and this. Ooh, go Johnny. He'd take his goat up through the gate. Bah, bah, bah. Give it to some priests and they'd stick it on the altar. All right, they'd wave some of it in a, in a wave offering before the Lord. Aren't you glad you weren't a priest in those days? Our wave offerings are like this with our hands. We're like, oh, Lord, we'll give you a wave offering. This is with like a leg of lamb and the blood flying. They love the imagery that they get about, imagine that. Doesn't that just seem like a sadistic way to worship God? Don't you love the fact we have the blood of Christ? Hallelujah, it covered me. They, They never sufficed. The blood of animals never sufficed. That's why we have the one true priest, okay, that opened up the gateway of what? What did he tear down? The veil. And the veil sat between here and the Holy of Holies. Split it in half. So what did he do? He made a way for you to live in that reality of the intimacy that he designed with the Trinity. You can walk by the Spirit now through the blood of Christ. The only person that ever went in there back in those days was one person once a year with a rope tied around their foot. Going, dear God, don't zap me. Okay? Because I know that if something's up and I've got sin in my heart and something's wrong, I'm going to get fried and I'm going to get dragged out. Thus, they put the rope around my leg. Don't you just feel confident coming to the throne of grace? (laughs) That's what we have now. We can come boldly into the throne of grace. But we come boldly. We don't come through here. We come boldly through here. How do we enter the gates? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Oh, we start to get some kingdom principles. Enter his courts with praise. What's praise? That's the loud, jumpy jumpy songs. No. Worship's the slow songs. No. What's praise? Telling God who he is. Okay? So what do you, 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 not necessarily telling him, what are you doing? You're praising it, but what? 
declaring, you're honoring. What, what about who he is? Like what, what parts? We thank you that you're a cloud of smoke, God, in the Old Testament. Like, like what, what about him? What, what do we pray? His character. Okay, if I'm going to praise you, I will praise your character. Okay? It's okay to praise one another. All right? You, you don't worship one another. Okay? You're all king. Oh, worship. No, no. You, you can praise one another's character. Okay? That's what you're doing with God. You're praising and declaring his character. Declaring his character and, who, and his goodness is not, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. That's not really declaring at all. Declaring is quite a loud activity. Okay? Giving thanks and praise is quite a... a um, a uh, strong posture before the Lord, quite a, a, an active posture before the throne of God. It's not some passive thing. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for the weather, for the trees. You've been an ungrateful sod. You know, thank you that you're alive. Thankfulness, when it starts to rise within your hearts, is gratefulness, and it starts to produce a joy and a life within you. If you're moping around depressed all the time, there's a good chance you're not very thankful and you've been ungrateful. And not just kill me. I'm going to go eat some worms. Nobody likes me. It's like, well, fix your eyes on God and start being thankful. Start being grateful for who He is. Praise His character, His faithfulness, His kindness, His compassion, His generosity. Thank Him for the cross. Let this stuff be a daily activity in what you do. What do you hit then? As soon as you hit the outer court, we hit the, we talked about it. We hit the altar, we hit the cross. Okay. You hit that thing. You can't go into God without going through the cross. I lie on the altar. Burn me up. I'm done. Now I can walk in that intimacy because my flesh will rob me of it every day. Well, God, you can't sit in this place with a bunch of list of demands for God. Well, God, I'll, I'll, I'll have a good attitude today if, if you just, just get rid of Johnny because he's just a pain in the backside. And, and, and my leader, can you give them, oh, I don't know, they're just always watching me. God, please help me. You're way out here somewhere, man. He's hearing you. He's not deaf to you, but you're not walking in an intimate relationship with him. Okay. What do you hit in the inner courts? Do you remember? Showbread. Oh, we have something else in the outer courts. We'll get to that. They had the lamp. And the incense, the altar of incense. Look at you guys, your Old Testament. What else is out in the outer court? I missed something. 
the big baths, big bowls of water for washing. Okay, so let's just walk through some principles here. Bang, we hit the cross, we repent, we get, um, we recognize our sin. Then what do we do? Washed clean by the blood and the water. Okay, getting washed, our baptism, recognizing I'm going to live for God. Being washed clean by Him, by the blood and the water. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I'm now living for God. And I'm going to be washed daily by the Word of God. So what does the Bible start to say about you? What does the Bible start to say about how you should live? Be washed by it constantly now. Be cleansed by it in the renewing of your mind. Don't think your worldview was right, then come to Christ and still think it was right. It was completely wrong. You may have some general principles in there. What does it mean to be kind and generous? And you, know, you might have been a good person, but that's got nothing to do with it. What does the Bible now say? This is what generosity is. Generosity is sacrificial. It's not out of my abundance. It's out of even my limit. It's out of what I don't have. Whereas before you may have understood generosity as to, well, can I be generous? That's not the question anymore. You are to be generous. Oh, I don't have any money. So what? It's got nothing to do with generosity. Generous of your time, generous of your, of, your, of your stuff, generous of material things. Generosity just exudes from you. It's giving of oneself. We hit some more principles. We've got the showbread. Okay. What, what do we do now with that? Maybe once a month it's on your church calendar. It's a rostered thing. What do you have? Communion. All right. I really like Jesus' communion because it was a whole feast. You know, so I, I would encourage you at times even to have communion. That would be a whole feast. Right, just be aware that you might call a fence and maybe don't call it communion. Okay? We're going to have a community meal. And we will get together. Get together is another word for commune. <laughs> so, you know, because we can cause a fence. But you're gathered together. And food is such a great component. But you're looking at community. Your giftings come together. You've got the body of Christ. You come together and you submit to one another. And the giftings are for the blessing and the ministering to one another. So when you come into a worship time or a prayer time, and it's a community, you wake up in the day, the person in the bunk above you, or whatever it might be, you're always in community. Okay. How do you be a blessing to that community today? Do you go to the community saying the community should notice me? I'm not feeling well and they have to look after me. Or do you turn to the community and say, how can I minister to the community today? Which way are you orientated? There's a chance that you're both. Okay, Depending on how you're feeling, they better watch out for me today because I'm just cranky. You know? Get over yourself. Get back to the altar, jump on it, fry yourself, die, and go back into the and, and walk in the presence of God. Go back to the cross. Sorry, Lord, I've been selfish. 
I repent for my selfishness and I walk back in the Spirit. We're supposed to walk daily in the Spirit of God, 24-7. All prayer is supposed to be done in the Spirit. Okay? Thus, if you get to the altar and you have something against your brother or your sister, you can't go any further. Go and get it sorted out. Then walk in the intimacy that the Lord designed. Okay? What's the lamps? What's the fire? What's the oil? I think you love Miley Cyrus. Anyone heard that song? It's constantly in my house at the moment because my daughter loves Hannah Montana. Sorry if that offends you, right? It came out, the movie came out, DVD yesterday, so my daughter was like, can we get the movie, Dad? Like, Hold on, Emily. See, now you're all back out in the flesh. Come back in the spirit. Wake up. All right. What's the oil, the flame, constantly? The what? Yeah, what's the oil tend to represent at times? Anointing from Holy Spirit. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Those candles were lit 24-7. They were not to die. The oil was to be... It was quite an effort to get the oil. They grew these olives, picked them off, got the oil, olive press, pressed the olives, got the oil out, put it in there. So it was quite the process. Okay. But it was to be burned all the time. What's this one? Altar of incense. What do we often picture that one? Revelation gives us a great little picture of that one. Prayers, intercession. Our intercession before God. Okay. What was in here? Just picture yourself putting the rope around your leg. It's my turn. <laughs> this year came. Sorry, girls, it couldn't be you. It was always a boy for some reason. And in your hop, and you see, what do you see when you walked in? The ark. Okay. What did the ark signify? That's what it looked like, but what it had cherubims and stuff all over it. But what did it signify? Presence of God. What else did it signify? They took this thing into battle because they wanted God's protection. Okay, what else did they get as a result of the presence of God and God leading them? I just said it, guidance. We want to be in God's presence. I don't want to live anywhere else. I want to live in the spirit at all times. And I know my flesh rises up. And I feel like Paul. I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. And the things I should do, I know that, you know, I don't get done. And it's this fight between my flesh and my spirit. But Jesus' fight's gotten a lot easier from when I first started following God. 
because I want to walk by the Spirit of God. I sin, bang, puts me straight out of the presence of God. We don't have some physical temple now that represents that. The Bible talks about that. We are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are now the dwelling places of God. And so either we attract that in its fullness, or we do things and boom, it disappears. Ever felt that? You can, be, you can feel like you're walking with God really well one day and then something happens or an attitude rises up within your spirit and you be, it's like you become dull. It drops. You know? How sharp are you at the moment? Do you feel like you're walking in the Spirit of God or do you feel like you're walking by your flesh? If we draw this picture again, body, soul, and spirit, okay? We want to release our spirits. We want to live this way, all right? Spirit-led, okay? Spirit hits our will, hits our emotions. God has emotions, okay? Sometimes the spirit will make you angry over sin, You'll get ticked off, and that can be spirit-led because God gets angry over the sin and the destruction that's happening. Sometimes you'll weep and you will cry because God weeps and cries over the people that get affected by sin or hurt. Okay? So don't think just having emotions means you're, well, I must be fleshly if my emotions are... No, God has them. And if you're led by the Spirit, sometimes He'll interact with your emotions and He will hit your emotions. And you'll be sitting there worshiping the Lord or doing something and you'll see a situation and you'll just weep and grieve. And it's okay. Okay? Your will then hits in and you'll be led by your will. What is right? Okay? And your will makes decisions... To make your body do actions. You know. I will be pure, led by the Spirit. Okay. What happens is we walk past or we watch a video and we're watching a movie. You know, we sit down. We had a great quiet time. We're living by the Spirit of God. We sit down. We start watching and we see a sex scene on the TV. And bang, it's like we flip. Straight away our body starts to go, oh! I shouldn't be looking at this. But why does it feel so good? Maybe uh, just for a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, you know, oh, just a little bit longer, and we started living this way. Okay? But if you get tempted here, and you're living by the Spirit, you'll see that scene, or you'll see that situation, or you'll go to respond in anger, or something like that, and you'll go, or you'll go, you, know, you you go, no, I, that doesn't have any part of my life. And you walk away and then you flee from sin. Okay? You will be tempted. 
You'll never be tempted by God. Okay? You will face trials. All right? You will go through testings by God. But don't confuse testings with temptation from the evil one. They are different. Okay? So be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. If you're led by the flesh, it cuts off here, and you don't walk by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't have the leadership. The Spirit doesn't have the one who controls you. Okay? It's how you feel. So when you're on an outreach and you get there and there's only a cold water bucket to have a shower with, and you're like, how can I have a shower with a cold water bucket? You know, you... <laughs> you got to wash your hair. <laughs> Couldn't get the soap out. It's not how I want to look. I just feel terrible. I just can't get this dirt off me. It's always dirty. There's a good chance you're being led in here and your emotions are just as terrible. You go into a worship time, you sit down with your crew and you sit down and someone starts singing a song, let's just be thankful for God. Not a chance. Why am I thankful for God? This is not fun at all. This is awful. What are you doing, God? Why did you bring me here? Maybe this isn't the will of God for my life. It's amazing what questions we'll come up with when we just face simple little trials. Just because we feel uncomfortable. If there's one thing I can prophesy to you guys is that your outreach will be incredibly uncomfortable. Hallelujah, Lord. Mine was very uncomfortable, and it's been uncomfortable since. But the more I die, the more I live. Is this making sense? Any questions or comments since we're in a great day of discussion? <coughs> Explain the components of body, soul and spirit. Okay, so you want to be led this way. This first. So what's the Spirit of God say? It, can, it, it determines your will, your decision maker. Okay. All right. It determines your emotions. All right. Let the Spirit of God determine your emotions. Sometimes you'll cry. You'll be joyful. Sometimes we're not joyful because, well, that's just not my personality. Well, God's joyful. So why can't you be joyful? Well, I, I don't display joy like that. You don't display joy at all. You know, you, you need to display it. Well, I have a quiet joy. Well, it's not joy. Joy is something that gets, it's, it's extravagant in its expression. You don't see someone walking past and they're like this. And we all comment, oh, they're one of the most joyful people I have ever seen. Do you? 
My boy gets a lot of comment on, he's just such a joyful boy. Ever notice my three-year-old? He's always walking around with a smile, saying hello to people. You know, and I want to keep that quality in him. Hey, stop saying hello to everybody. Why? You know, I'll teach him about watching with strangers and all that sort of stuff. But I want him to be generous. I want him to be, hey, hey, how you doing? And he does it. He'll somebody walking past and he'll go, hey, hey. I'm like Eli. Shh. You know, hey. And I'll turn around and go, hello. I'm like, oh, good on you, son. Because I'm an introvert. I'm like, just, I'm happy to go past everybody and just disappear. You know, he's not, he's an extrovert. He's got mum's genes in that department. My wife is an extrovert. And so, you know, let the Spirit of God lead you in what you do. This becomes a place in which you're acting out. You see, you're making decisions either led by the Spirit or they're led by your flesh. Okay. And in here, we've got aspects of our emotions, our will. Um, oh, there's a cup. Mind, that's right. Okay, here we have our body. All right. So we start to see the Lord going, hey, worship me with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Like, give me everything. Under my leadership. Okay, love the Lord your God, which is the two greatest commandments. If we look at the law, all the law hangs on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Cool thing about as yourself peace is that he didn't say love your neighbor above yourself. Okay. So love your neighbor as yourself. If he had said above yourself, we would have a whole different set of theology out there in the world. You're supposed to love me more than you. But we do do this a little bit. You just sacrifice yourself for everybody. Love your neighbor, it says as, not above. Okay. I just love that Jesus didn't slip up in his word there. You imagine it. Just sacrifice yourself for everybody. It's biblical. You're supposed to love us more than you love yourself, so just die. You know. But we do interpret it a little bit that way at times. We are to die to our flesh. Okay. But there's, there's also our capacity and who we are and what God's designed us to be and walking in that with life. If I say yes to everything around here, I will be under tremendous burden which will kill me. Am I loving Jesus more? No. Yeah, I'm not aware of my boundaries. Okay. So be led by the Spirit. The cool thing about that, Galatians 5, it says, if you're led by the Spirit, you won't sin. If we're led by our flesh, we will sin. It's pretty automatic. Okay? So we see some principles here. 
when I use this analogy, it's drawing out the principles. Because you're now this temple. All right? It's no longer a building or a structure. It's now you. You're the dwelling place. What attracts God? Okay? What makes him want to dwell? All right? Some of those qualities are humility. Okay? If you want to attract God, if you want to see God turn up, be humble. If you want to see God leave the room, walk in pride. Okay, so you want to see it in your own life. If you want to see God completely consume you, well, you better be humble because he won't, he'll actually resist the proud. Okay, he doesn't just leave the room. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Okay, so it's like what things do you put out to bring God near? I'm just wondering where God is at the moment. I just don't feel like he's around. Well, it's a good, maybe you've been walking in pride. Okay. Uh, another kingdom quality is submission. Uh, yielded. So being yielded, being submitted. That's to God and to people. It's a quality that attracts God. Uh, these things bring him in. Okay. They make God turn up. Uh, in the Beatitudes, it says, those who are pure will see God. Who are pure of heart, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Okay. So you want God to turn up in your mix. There's a high chance often that it's around the, probably humility is usually one of the major things. Whenever I see someone being humble, it's just, it's disattractant. You know, whenever I watch someone humble themselves in, hey, this is me, God, please forgive me, or I'm sorry, and I just lay this before you, and, you know, it tends to draw more humility. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry too, I shouldn't have done that, and please forgive me, and, you know, and then the next person goes, hey, I've been convicted of that too, I'm sorry, and you just watch the conviction of God flow through a room, because one person triggered Humility. And it produces more humility and more humility. Then you watch these hearts bond. Like, you know what? We're just all sinners and we just love God. I'm not better than you. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I bless you? And we start being yielded. Submitting to each other. But if we're prideful, it's a stop. It's a hindrance. Humility will attract God. Okay. It's half past 11. Any comments or questions? I have a little activity for us to do at the end. I think it's really interesting in your diagram of the uh, spirit, soul, and body, how uh, the soul... Is right in the middle, and you, who you are, is your soul. Your souls and your spirit is what go to um, heaven, and um, you can choose either to 
walk out through the body, or you can choose to walk out through the spirit. Like, I, it can go either way, either direction. And, um, I mean, you, it just, you just have to pick your direction. Do I want to be engaging my soul through the filter of my body or through the filter of my spirit, which is filled with the Holy Spirit? I see sometimes, like, the diagram will look like spirit and then body. Like, you'll just allow it to go straight to your body. It's just, like, the, the feelings of that. And you kind of just forget the fact that, yeah, we, we should submit, like, our will and, our, like, our emotion and all that and not just let it affect our bodies because it's, it's a good feeling. But, yeah. I have a question about sin. Like you said, if we have a lot of sin, we can come in the presence of God. But it, it also says a lot about it in First John, about how when you're a Christian, like when you believe in God, you don't sin. Like if we're justified, like I heard a preacher about, like since you're justified in Christ, you're sanctified, you're holy, you're clean, you're pure. Jesus lives in you, so if you sin, the reason to confess it and ask for forgiveness is more for your, is more for your own sake, because God already has forgiven you. He already sees you through Jesus. But according to you, it seems more like if we do sin, we should walk to the cross at once in order to come in front of his presence. So, Yes and yes. And <laughs> <laughs> see what 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 you wanted. There's, a, there's not a binary answer to what you're saying. God has forgiven you, and He forgives you while you were a sinner. Okay, but did you did you enact that forgiveness? That's your choice. See, God God has God loves you, um, and is reaching out to you. Okay. That's his position towards sinners. All right? He's not, I hate sinners. Okay, he's reaching out. He's like this, hey, will you come? He's like, we see the story of the, the prodigal son. The story of the father is, it's looking, it's searching on the road. It's, where's my son? Where's my son? We see the heart of the father. Jesus is describing the father's position towards us. Okay, so he's like that. Did he design you for a purpose? Yes. Okay. All right. So he, he, he has this design. He, he created you. He's like, hey, here's the purpose and design. And I put that into action. And bang, you burst. And he put the talents and the giftings within you. And then you start to make decisions as to whether or not you'll bring them into the presence of God and walk with him or not. Okay. But sometimes when, for example, people pray and you feel like disengaged or not motivated, I'm like, God, I just, oh, I don't really believe it's going to happen or not. Like, yeah, you just feel very not motivated. Yep. And what we were praying for, like the Holy Spirit to come, it totally happens to you. Mm -hmm. Like when you least expect it, you're like, God, whatever, do what you want, I'm here, but I'm not motivated now. And mm -hmm. then you get this, whoa, 
So you're sitting like you're you're not believing or you're just like not engaging, but still, uh, it happened to me at least. So uh -huh. it doesn't make sense. His his presence is still there yeah. even though you sin. Yeah. There's a high chance even in the fact that you're chatting with him. And because he's gracious and kind and compassionate, that's, he's positioned like this towards you. you know? Before I became a Christian, this was my conversation with God. God, I'll do a DTS if you get rid of my job. Now I was not walking with God. I was not walking in the intimacy that he designed to me. But, I, but I'd grown up in a church, so I, I understood some aspects of... I had probably this, this, this general belief that something's there. I couldn't deny that. Was I deciding to interact with it and say, I apply the blood into my life and I walk in freedom? No, I wasn't. Okay. So I have a conversation with God. Within two days, I have lost my job. And I'm like, when the guy tells me, hey, just so you know, the, the work hasn't come through, you're not going to have a job with me. I know what he's really saying. I'm not even listening to him anymore. I'm like, God, you're just funny. I've got to go and do this six-month Christian camp thing now. Something within me was still dialoguing with God. You know, and so drawing to him. You know, and... He knows the conditions of our hearts. There's so much complexity in that. It's simple but confusing. You know? And so our job is to position ourselves into, hey, I position myself to sit with the Holy Spirit and walk with Him. You know? And you know, different ones of us experience the Holy Spirit differently. Um, you know, when I was on my DTS, I was, I was always anxious. I'm like, Will I just fall down? Can, can I just fall down, Holy Spirit? I have these conversations. All these other people are falling down. Can, what about me? Can I, I want to know you're real. I want to feel your presence. You know, and I went up, we went in Thailand, and the whole church is going down. Like this, we had people, all over, there's hundreds of people on the deck, and they're getting little skirts over them and little towels. And whether you're from that type of church, you might have done that. I'm like, if anything's going to happen to me, it's today. So I chop down the front. Right. Holy Spirit, I position myself. God, I'm here. God, I'm the only one standing. I'm the white man in Thailand standing in front of everybody. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the rare one standing with like 50 people around me all hit the deck. So I walk away. God, are you real? Holy Spirit, are you real? See how my little bit of flesh starts to pop up? You know, and I start to go, well, you know, God obviously doesn't like me. You know, and it can lead down this whole path of doubting God. And I got corrected on that. I, you know, got a little bit more understanding as to the Holy Spirit. Got a little bit more teaching as to the role of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just about zapping me on the deck on the floor. Okay, it's far more to the Holy Spirit than just being zapped. Okay. But I've prayed for people and they've fallen down. I'm like, man, I can pray for them and they fall down. <laughs> no, it didn't work. You know, I'm like, if I could just get it quick enough. I, I, don't, I, don't, I have no understanding as to why. I'm like, God, it's been 12 years and I'm still standing. But, you know, in the beginning of that time, in, my, in some of my immaturity, 
and not understanding. It, it formed questions against God. So what I did is I tried to do a little bit of study on the Holy Spirit. Give me revelation of the Holy Spirit. Start teaching me about the Holy Spirit. You know. And so there's many ways God interacts with us because he knows also the condition of our heart. So as we're dialoguing with him, it doesn't mean we're living by our flesh because we have a question to God. If you look at David, he did a, he did a sequence a couple of things. And we, we, so we sometimes forget it. David had lots of problems. David had people trying to kill him. You know, he had, he had lots of problems. If anyone could wonder where God went... King David had some reasons, all right? And you would hear that at times. So he's, you see some of his psalms. God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? The dogs are going to get me. Okay? So he has, he has number one, he, he has this question of God. Is he living by his flesh? There's nothing wrong with having questions of God. God, what the heck is going on? But don't stop there. Because we see David's example, he'd hit on next and he hit another piece and he'd go, but God, I know you're faithful towards me. And I trust in your faithfulness. So there's nothing wrong with asking the question. But always remember who he is. Okay? Just because you're asking a question, you're not living by the flesh. God, why is not the money come in? Where are you? God, I know you're faithful. I know you're generous. These things I will stand on. These things I will believe in Jesus. I will believe in God, not my circumstances. He's not threatened by your questions. Oh, dear. Andrew's asked me a tough question, Holy Spirit. Jesus, do you know the answer? Holy Spirit, can you go and just put a cloud over him so we can work out the answer with Jesus? He, he does. He's not upset by her questions. He does not upset by our emotions towards him. But don't let your emotions be the stop point. Get into that place with the Lord and say, but you know what? I'll stand on the truth of God, that he's faithful, kind, compassionate, these things, and I'm going to praise those things. And so I'm going to meditate on those things. Because of my current circumstances, that my, I don't want them to lead me. I want the truth of who God is to lead me. So you walk in, in the reality. Walking in a spirit is not just some lofty experience. Nothing bad happens to me because I walk by the spirit. Now, there's a good chance you're going to feel like you're in a whole bunch of battle. Thus, do you see the third point that David would walk into. In his intercession, he would pray. And he'd say, God, take these evil things from me. You know? And we go into the role of intercession. And we take authority over the evil one. And we say, you know what? This bondage in the area of my finances is not the heart of God. And I'm going to pray release over these finances. And I'm going to seek the Lord for clarity as to what is the stop there so that I would see the provision because I know God is faithful and He's generous. I know that. And so I'm going to operate in that. When 99% of our prayers are trying to just twist God's arm, we've got it back to front. Okay? 
We can go to intercession and be like, God, please provide for me. Please. With all the cattle on a thousand hills, will you get rid of one? Just please, God. Please, God, provide for me. Please, God, provide for me. God, will you provide? If I yell loudly and jump or something, he might provide for me. No, walk in a bit of warfare. He's given you authority. Walk in it. All right. Speak release over this area of finance. Because I know God called me to do what I'm supposed to be doing. So I speak release over it. God, what's my part to play? We start creating the reality that we know is in his heart. We start creating it in the place of intercession. And we start birthing new things. Intercession is not just twisting the heart of God. Please, God. Please, God. Okay. You're aligning yourself with God because you hear him and you say, God told me I'm supposed to go here. So we had a chat. We're in agreement now. I finally agreed with God or I'm going to obey him. So we're in agreement. So now I'm going to create with him. Okay. Intercession is not postured. Come on, God. Come on, God. It's, you're, you're with him creating. Right, we pray for release over our friend here. We pray release over our sister here. We pray the finances will come in. We, we just speak this out with conviction because we know it's the word of the Lord to us. And then our faith produces action. All right, God, what are we to do? Well, we'll just see. You know, if it's God's will, I'll go. That's just bad fatalism. That's what Muslims believe, guys. If it's Allah's will, it'll happen. That's not a Christian worldview. Okay? That's an Islamic worldview. A Christian worldview is creating with him the realities that reside within his heart. And if you're running around... Sorry, Nathan. <laughs> Literally. If you're running around, just going, well, you know, if it's God's will, I'll go. You know, you're being fatalistic and you're not in Christian worldview. Intercession is hearing from God. All right, God, we've got a reality that I have no idea how to do now. You've told me to go to this place or do this, and I don't know how they're going to get the money or the time or whatever, but you've said something. I obey and I say yes to you, God. Now I intercede. And I create with you that reality in prayer, first and foremost. And then the, out of that faith, because it's the word of the Lord, faith comes by hearing, I then walk in action. I'm going to jump on a plane. I've only got the money for a plane trip. So I'm going to jump on that plane because I know God told me to be there. And so you take the steps. Does this make sense? We fall into fatalism in our worldview and Christianity a lot. Whenever I hear somebody say, well, you know, if it's God's will, I'll go. I just feel like slapping him up the side of the head. I'm like, well, you should know. That's the point of hearing him. Is it God's will? Well, I don't know. Find out. That's the whole point of relationship. He wants to tell you if it's his will. He doesn't want to leave you in the dark. But sometimes he hides because he wants to know how, how hard you want to seek him. Isn't that a bit weird? 
but he hides himself. I'm going to see how much you really want this. You know, well, I'm just going to spend the next three minutes just praying for my destiny and purpose. And if I don't get it, then I guess it's not God's will. Grow up. Persevere. Seek him. Take the time. Lean into him. Get that revelation. Get that word of the Lord because it, built, it comes your faith. Have confidence around that word of the Lord. Bring others into it. Say, hey, I feel like God's saying this. You know, does, it, does that make sense? And do you have any wisdom? And, and get that word of the Lord solid so that when you step, you step with faith and confidence. And you're not one week later going, well, I know God said that last week, but he changed his mind. And um, this week he's saying, I'm to be this. You're like the four-year-old who keeps changing his mind as to what he wants to do with his life. I'm going to be a fireman. The next week he watched Star Wars. I'm going to be a Jedi. The next week he watched Bob the Builder. I'm going to be a builder. And that's what you're like. The, the, the latest influence becomes the call of God. Seek him a little stronger. Because without it, you won't have the faith to step out in action. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. God only responds to faith. He doesn't respond to your whining. He doesn't respond to your pleading. He only responds to your faith. God, if you give me the thousand bucks, I'll go. No, God, I'll go regardless. That's the obedience issue. I'm going, God. You've told me. Whew, I'm going. Gee, I need a thousand dollars. Okay, God, how are we going to do that? Let's pray. pray. God, we ask for the thousand dollars. We just, you know, I'm agreeing with you, God, that we'll see that release today, or this week, or by the time. And you know what? I'm going to start planning. So I start booking airline tickets, or I start chatting with this person, as if I'm starting to move. This is why your DTS is so crucial that regardless of what category, if you don't learn to apply your faith, this whole thing's a waste of time for you. You get a whole bunch of nice information that will go in the back of your brain that you could have gotten a podcast. You will be challenged to apply your faith. And if you're not challenged to apply your faith, your staff have not done their job. And I know your staff and they're going to push you. They're going to say sometimes, hey, will you go and preach in that church? And you'll go, no. It's like, no, you can do it. Step out. Be bold. Ask the Lord what he wants you to speak on. Never done that before. My first sermon in a church went for two and a half minutes. I was supposed to take 25. I got up there. I spent like three hours preparing that sermon. I prayed, I spent, I was walking in the bushes, everything, mate. I, I did everything to get ready for that thing, and it finished in two and a half minutes. I was so freaked out. And my lovely team leader, who was Faith, just slotted in. Oh, what a great testimony, Andrew. And uh, yeah, I just want to come bring the word to you guys today. She just stood up and went for it because she knew what she was doing. But she allowed me to step out. You know. So your leaders will do that and your leaders will be prepared to pick up your mess. And you know, I've stuck people out there, share testimonies in a high school that were just terrible. I'm like, oh my goodness. I can't believe I let them share those oh dear. You know. 
but their faith was built. And so build your faith. Step out in this time. Your faith is action. Faith is not sitting on your backside. Faith will require you to have some conviction. And guys, that can be one of your major struggles, is that you're just waffly and all over the place. There's something inbuilt and wired within, guys, that you like to fight. My five-year-old is a great testament to that right now because he starts running around with his Star Wars toys, wanting to shoot everything. And I'm all like, oh, I don't know whether that's a good parent thing. So I start, hey, son, just don't kill everything. And my wife goes, honey, he's a boy. I'm like, yeah, I know that. But she's like, that's what they do, remember? They like to fight. There's something wide within you guys to fight. And if you're not fighting... Don't fight people. You've got the wrong battle if you fight somebody. Okay? In the spirit and in, in God, there should be challenges before you. Otherwise, you're probably sitting on your backside walking in apathy. Girls, you're designed to fight too. All right? Doesn't mean that you're not fighters. There's something built within us to fight guys. And that's what we're to do. That's the role of intercession. That's the beginning place. This reality is not real. This issue, people are not saved right now. We will intercede for it. We are going to fight for them. And we're not half-hearted. Oh, it's intercession time for the Pakistani people. Yeah, God, we just pray for the Pakistani people. They're a long way away. Where are they again? Over there, okay. Oh, that's all those Muslims. Ooh, that's deep. God, if it's your will, they'll get saved. It's his will. It's already, he's already said it. I desire that all men would be saved. Don't consider it slow in my return, but I desire all men to know me. So he's already said that. Don't get confused whether it's God's will or not. It says in his Bible, Peter wrote it for us. Preach the gospel to all creation. Disciple all the nations. Don't get confused on what the will of God is. It's pretty simple for us. He's made it pretty simple for us. But you must apply your faith. You'll have some challenges set before you. Don't shrink back. Don't just sit there waiting for the right piece of information to tickle your fancy. Like, oh, I really liked that lecture. The biggest building thing for you in this time will not necessarily be the lectures. They will teach you. You'll get revelation. But the biggest thing that you can take away in your DTS is the application of your faith and stepping out from hearing God and seeing him move through you. If you get that, that'll hold you instead for the rest of your days. And some of you come into the DTS fully already charging in that. You've been applying your faith. You're already in some warrior status in heaven. Some of you have never battled a thing. 
You're like wobbly watermelons. A little bit of enemy comes and you're flat out. <laughs> God's like, grow up. Father, we just ask that you would come. Lord, we thank you that you wired us to fight. You've wired us to create with you. God, you created us in your image, God, and you're a creator. And so we're to create with you. Jesus said, pray that your kingdom would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're to pray. God's purposes in the earth. So the things that are not evident as kingdom purposes, let us not get confused with, well, maybe God's got them there for some strange reason. Jesus, you came to have life and life abundantly. Let us not lose sight that sin is sin and sin is death. Life with you, God, is purity and righteousness and holiness and humility, submission and joy, freedom. People that are under bondage are not under some trial from God. They're under bondage. They're under sin. And we're to set them free. You, you told us to go and... Um, Set the captives free. You told us to go and make the blind see. You told us to take oil of joy instead of mourning. Lord, may we get your kingdom values. May we see light for what it is and not confuse light for darkness or darkness for light. Holy Spirit, just bring your revelation into our spirits. As we would die to ourselves, our own ideas, our own thoughts about who you are, and we would meditate on the Word of God and the living Word, Jesus. And we would look to you and say, tell us who you are. Show us who you are. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, and you've given it to us as co-heirs with Christ. So Lord, teach us to be co-heirs. Teach us to be brothers and sisters with you, Christ, seated with you in heavenly places, to walk in the fullness of what you designed us to be. And Lord, I pray for faith. Lord, this came out on our Thursday night meeting last week and Lord, you directed us here again now. Lord, that you would, we would apply faith, God. We would not be fatalistic. But Lord, we'd be men and women full of faith within our hearts, God, with boldness and courage in our spirits to take on the challenges that you call us to, God. You will call us to mighty mountains to bring down. God, let us not shy away from those. Let us not be are taken out by the evil one, by our own insecurities and our own ideas and our own fears. But Lord, we pray for an impartation of courage, of boldness, of fearlessness. God, we just start to come upon them, God, as they think about their outreach and their time now, that they would not be fearful, but there would be courage and boldness within their spirits. Just lead us in these coming days, God, as we 
look at aspects of sin that, that hold us back. Be our teacher, God, and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.